we're going to take our, our books and we're actually going to go to page 159 uh, in the, the handout books or the handouts over there. It's probably toward the end. It's the review questions. And sometimes when you're going through the, these discipleship materials, uh, if you're like me, when I took tests or when I was studying for a test, you get to the end of a unit in a subject, and you're like, oh, they're the review questions. I don't need to go over them. I already read all the material. I got it all down. But in teaching, going back over review stuff is actually really beneficial because what you find out is, did the person that you were discipling, did the person you were teaching, did they get it? Or do they at least know where to find it or, or have a general idea? And it helps us in that. So as, as we have those review questions, don't forget to fill them out. Like uh, on page 159, it says, you know, according uh, to John chapter 16, verse 13 uh, through 14, who does the Holy Spirit glorify? And if you remember, it talked about that he glorifies Jesus Christ. The book talked about him being a silent member of the Trinity and that he was there. It's not that he's not important. It's that he looks to deflect honor and glory and to uplift Jesus Christ. What is regeneration and who accomplishes it? Remember, we talked about regeneration is that spiritual birth. It's our new birth. It's being born again. All those different terms that we use in our circles. And it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of regeneration, as the book talked about. Explain the relationship between spiritual baptism and water baptism. And as we went through those, uh, those concepts, remember that water baptism is that outward symbol of the spiritual baptism, of the baptism of the Spirit. So when we were immersed into the body of Christ, the outward example and outward symbol of that is our water baptism, that we are identifying with Jesus Christ, that we were saved, that we were buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in that newness of life, and yet all of that, what does it show? It shows our new spiritual birth, our, our spiritual baptism. It also has there on uh, page 159, as we've talked about, your, uh, what are you baptized into? And we talked about that you're baptized into the body of Christ, that we all become part of the family of God. It is our new birth. It is a birth into this new family that we have. And then it kept going on talking about some of those works of the Spirit. What is the sealing of the Spirit? When is it accomplished? And as we, as we look through and we talked, you know, it identifies the believers with Christ. And it also shows that we are secured by the Spirit. We are sealed until the day of redemption at the moment of salvation. So the moment we get saved, that is when that, that occurs and happens. And how many of us are indwelt by the Spirit as we talked last week? Everyone who's a believer is indwelt. We don't have to seek after that. We don't have to long for it. If you are a true, genuine believer of Jesus Christ, you've been saved. The Bible says that every New Testament believer has been indwelt permanently by, by the Spirit. And as we were wrapping up, we were talking about a different dynamic. All of those were, were things that happened at salvation, the indwelling, the, the baptism of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, the, the regeneration. Those are things that happen to us as believers at the moment of salvation. They are permanent. They, they continue on. And then we, we transition a little bit to talk about a different ministry of the Spirit, and that being the filling of the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is not, I need to get more and more of the Holy Spirit. When I got saved, I have all of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to get. But the question is, am I filled with the Spirit? And the word filling has that idea of being controlled, 
allowing your life to be submitted to his ways and his words and the convicting presence of the Spirit as I'm, as I'm walking through the Word of God. And we finished up in Galatians chapter 5, and let's go there this morning as we, as we pick up in the book. We're going to go back in pages now, back to page 152 where we left off, talking about, we were, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and that is the fruit that the Spirit produces within us as we are controlled, as we are submitted to him, and then he goes on in Galatians 5 to that next dynamic uh, where he begins to speak and Paul talks to the Galatian believers about not just the, the fruit or the work of the Spirit in our life and that we are to walk after the Spirit, but do you ever, you ever have those books of the Bible that every time you try to find them, you can never find them? Am I the only one? And then you got to like sing the song in your head or like say them in your mind. So that Galatians is always that book. I'm like, I'm in Thessalonians. I'm like, wait, no, it's earlier. Wait, wait, I'm doing it. So that's why I was trying to talk and do that in my head. So I had to like stop so I could just do that. So anyway, Galatians chapter five, verse 17, uh, it highlights, for the flesh lusteth after the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Paul clearly lays out that there is a, there's a struggle. There is a tension that goes on in our lives as believers. And so the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and there's, there's these forces that go against, and that is our flesh. There is another force outside of the Spirit, picking up where we were, that, that, that wars in our souls. It is, it is our flesh. This, there's an opposition between our flesh and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. When we got saved, our flesh was not eradicated. Our natural desires were not just taken all away. I am now given the ability as a believer to say no to sin, to have victory over sin, and yet there's still that dynamic within us where we, we struggle with, I want to go after the flesh, but I want to go after the Spirit. I want to submit. I want to be yielded. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. Your flesh, sometimes you'll hear the, the, the terms in the, in the uh, New Testament, the old man or your old sin nature. Uh, it battles for control over you and I. And so there's not this idea when you get saved, you become perfect. And you don't end up becoming perfect in this life. In fact, when we start, get to the uh, chapter, chapter 12, I believe it is, on progressive sanctification and, and our growing process, we do not become perfect here on earth in the sense of sinless. We can become perfect in the sense of being a mature believer, but we don't, we don't move to that point where we are sinlessly perfect here on earth. We long for that day when we're in heaven and we don't have to have this, this struggle between our flesh and the Spirit. If you submit to the Holy Spirit, Paul teaches here, you'll produce godly fruit and the fruit of the Spirit will be produced within you. If we are submitting to the flesh, you fulfill the evil works of the flesh. And then he goes on in the passage and the, the book asks the question, well, what are these evil works? And we see them in verses 19 through 21. Uh, this is one of those passages where you have the, the vice list and then you have the, the virtue list. As I talked about last Sunday night, Peter was a little bit different in that. In First Peter uh, chapter, chapter 2, he only gives the negatives and then he doesn't give the virtues. Here, we see some of the negative and the positive. Uh, and he talks about the works of the flesh, the adultery or the immorality, the impurity, the sensuality, the idolatry, sorcerers, enmity, strifes, and, and the list goes on and on. And you can take the time on your own to just really work through and say, okay, what are all of these? But those outbursts of anger, the things that sometimes we, the fightings, the, the, the dissensions that we have, are sometimes we have to ask ourselves, hey, are, are these struggles that we're having, the infighting that we're having, is it really the work of the Spirit fleshing, showing itself out in my life? 
or is it the work of the flesh coming out? And so it's a challenging passage to work through. And as you work through with your disciple, you're going to want to work through some of those, those questions. What, what is a dissension or what does an outburst of anger mean? And you can take the time. A good study Bible always helps with that. We're not going to go through and identify every single, single one of those, but you can see those in that, in that passage. So your two natures, as we talk about in our life, they're going to be warring with each other for the rest of our life. I know that it doesn't sound encouraging. It's like, oh, it can be very defeating almost in our mind. But, but James even highlights that your flesh is really your greatest source of temptation. You and I would do very well to respect the fact, to not downplay the fact that our flesh is a strong enemy against our spirituality. It, it dominates. It can control. Um, he, James says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And we, we've talked about before in church here the progression that happens, that the, the temptation comes from within. The word lust is not just a sexual lust. It is the idea of a strong desire. The word epithemia that's used there, it's used in other passages. Context often will dictate, is it talking specifically about a, a sensual temptation or is it talking about another? And it's saying my, my desires to be in control can sometimes lead me into doing things that aren't appropriate to, you know, making maybe lying or uh, coercing somebody to, to get what I want because my, my natural desire is I want to be in control. I don't want anybody else to be in control. So that, that work of the flesh can all of a sudden start working itself out. So the word is not just a sensual lust. It can be, but it's, it's our natural fleshly desires. And James is saying, look at the progression that happens. When I allow my flesh to control me, there is a, there is a negative spiraling progression that, that occurs in the passage. So as we talk about the filling of the Spirit, it may be experienced moment by moment by believers who submit to him. This is not, it's not guaranteed that you will be filled with the Spirit just because you are a believer. You have the ability to be filled. You have the ability for the Holy Spirit to control your life. But the question is, will we allow that? Will we submit ourselves to the Spirit or do we submit ourselves to the flesh? And they use the illustration in the book um, on page 153 where they talk about cars and cats. And first when I saw the title, I was like, what do cars and cats have to do? There's two separate little illustrations here to try and help us understand or to be able to teach the individual you're discipling the difference or, or what, is, what is taking place here. So they say that you have this car, and as you're driving in the car, there's always the car of your life, there's always your flesh, and as a believer, there's the spirit. And these two are driving along with you all the time. The question is, which one of them are you allowing to steer your car? Who do you give authority? Who do you give the right to? Who do you relinquish control to when you're driving? Is it the spirit or is it your flesh? And then they use this, the illustration of uh, Tom and Jerry. Ironically, I couldn't find a Tom and Jerry picture with, uh, you know, the, good, the angel and the, the demon or the devil on each side of them. And, and I know you can, you can break any illustration down and you can tear it apart. And, but think from a, a, you're simply trying to start conveying these new truths to a new believer and help them to facilitate it. And I thought it was interesting that you can look through, Hollywood gets this, 
that there's, there's a struggle in our life to do good and, or to do evil and that there's the, the pulling. But biblically, Paul says here, there is the battle. Now, there's not the two angels and demons on our side, but yet internally, the spirit is saying, do right, and your flesh is saying, indulge the flesh. And we have to ask ourselves, who do we obey in those moments? And how do we know? How do we know we're obeying the flesh or the spirit? Well, as we're in God's word, as we're studying God's word, as we're learning about God's word and God's ways, now we're starting to say, wait, does this match up? Do I line up with the, the works of the Spirit and the way the Spirit says? And that allows, and that flows into, and I, I think a really, it, it's a neat transition to go into the illuminating of the Spirit, the next work of the Spirit, because as a new believer is wondering, they're looking and they're saying, well, how do I know if I'm following the, the work of the flesh or the work of the Spirit because my natural, everything I've always done has been this. Okay, now I don't feel real good when I say those things or I, I start thinking about that or I want to do this and I feel these, you know, this, this weirdness inside or I feel like, you know, I'm just, I start looking through and thinking about it and I, I don't think I should be doing those things. And you, you can talk about, okay, the, the Holy Spirit convicts you. He challenges you to do right. But then you can look and say, well, where do we find that out? As we've already talked earlier in the book, the Word of God is super important for us to understand where, where we are in relationship to God. And we need the work of the Spirit. We need the illuminating of the Spirit to understand the Word of God. And so 1 Corinthians talks about the, the illumination of the Spirit. He talks about, Paul talks about, but the natural man, talking about the unsaved individual, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But, here's the, the flip side, he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so Paul highlights and brings out these dynamics that the, the unsaved individual, they, they don't have the ability to discern God's word. They think it's foolish. But we as spiritual, we're able to discern. Those who are saved, you're able to discern the word of God. And how are we able to do that? It's because we have within us the mind of Christ. We have the spirit dwelling within us who is shedding light and teaching us, bringing us John chapter 16 again, teaching us all these things about Jesus Christ. And so we have this, this powerful entity, more powerful than just an entity. It is God himself dwelling within us. And what is God doing? The Holy Spirit is illuminating our hearts. When we, when we go to read God's word, when we come to a time for a message, our heart ought to be praying, longing the words of Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold the wonders out of the law. In other words, open my eyes that I can see wonders from your word, that I, Lord, help me to understand your word and your amazing works. This is super important to a new believer and to, to even many of us. As we think about it, how many times have you ever heard, and I know I've heard it from, from Christians who've been saved for a number of years saying, I just, I, there's no way I can understand the, the word of God. I'm not smart like you. I'm, I'm not smart. I'm smart enough to know that I need God's ability to help and understand. But to look and to say, well, I, I'm not like that. There is somebody who is smarter than any of us in this room, and he has said that I will help you to understand the word of God. The Holy Spirit, as he indwells us, is now illuminating, 
helping us turning the light bulb on for us to be able to understand, sure, we can get into all the deep, deep, deep theological truths, and you might say, well, I can't understand all of that. You can understand the Word of God. God says through the illuminating power. Now, we talk about as, and I, I think this is a really neat perspective. We have within us, and page 154 talks a little bit about this. We have within us the author of the Word of God. God dwelling within us, the, the one who is moving those holy men of God as they wrote the scriptures, as they wrote the texts of God, the one who was the agent and helping them to do that, making sure that it was inspired and, and overseeing that process, that same individual is now living within us. And he's saying, I'm going to help you understand my word. So when studying a book, really, wouldn't it be nice to have the author explaining its meaning to you. And yet, God says, I'm going to help you do that. As the author of his word, he's saying, I'm going to help turn a light bulb on. I'm going to help you understand a little bit. And it's important because the Bible is really not merely a human book. It is a supernaturally divine, amazing book from, the, from God himself. And as we apply it, we can't just look and say, well, I can just do like everybody else. I'll just use logic and reason, and I'll be able to come. Sure, anybody can read it and anybody can gather something, but to have the Word of God penetrate our hearts, to illumine our hearts, to engage our minds and help us to apply it to life, we need that supernatural dynamic that God promises to give to us in the illumination of the Spirit. And so for a new believer, what an encouragement, because they look, we, we do it now. I mean, we were, I was joking with one of the college students, he was texting me this week, and he's like, Pastor, I don't know if I did a good thing or not. I said, what's up? He said, I decided I was going to start doing Isaiah as a Bible study this, this quarter, you know, during, during school. And he's like, I got like nine verses in and I'm confused already. And I said, okay, that's all right. Hey, I want you to just keep doing this. Read. Don't read to understand every, every nuance right now. Just read to understand familiarity and ask the Holy Spirit. And we talked about these passages. Ask the Holy Spirit to illumine your heart to open your eyes that you can see the wonderful things of God's word. And I said, the things that, that pop out and you understand, guess what? It's what the Holy Spirit's prompting you right now. He wants you to understand that. He wants you to use that. And so it's been neat to hear some of his excitement about understanding a really difficult book. And he's like, I probably should just not do it. I said, no, don't do that. The Lord has led you to do that. This is the word of God. Do it. But how many times do we skip over passages of scripture because we're like, I'll never understand that. I can't. And yet we can go to them, read them, and ask the Holy Spirit, the author of them, to say, open my eyes. Help me to see the wonders of your law, the wonders of your work. And it really is a privilege to have the author of Scripture living within us. Now, I, I want to caution you as you're reading. It's not in there, but I just, as, as you're reading the, the Bible, we have the author of the Word of God within us, and we're seeking to understand the author's intent of the Word of God. The Word of God can never mean what the Word of God never meant, okay? So you can't look. Be careful going. Have you ever been in a Bible study with a bunch of people, and you read one verse, and they're like, well, this means this to me, and this means this to me, and this means this to me, and you're listening, and they're like, all three are completely different. And you're like, how does that work? What does the passage mean? So we seek to understand the passage, and now it may apply in different aspects of our life, and as just a little plug for, for coming up here, this, this fall we're going to be doing Bible Institute, 
again, picking it back up in September. And one of the things that the, the class is going to be offered is how to read your Bible. To understand as you're going through just those simple principles of reading and studying at a, a really basic level. But it would be good for us is because as we go to the Word of God, we can apply uh, different principles, different ideas, concepts to help us better understand. So if you're interested in something like that, sign up for that class because we need the Holy Spirit's help to help us understand the Bible. Look to say, Spirit, what does this word mean? Help me to understand it so that I can apply it to my life. And he says, I'm going to help you. That's part of the work, the ministry of the Spirit. And what an encouragement to a new believer who says they can't, but they can. Because now they have the supernatural enabling, the, the, the God of the universe dwelling within them, helping them to understand his word. What a great ministry of the, the Spirit. The, the passage goes on in 1 Corinthians 2. And he talks about the natural man receives not its foolishness, neither can he help them know. And then the question is asked in there, what three types of people, uh, what are the three types of people listed in this passage? And then compare how they respond to the word of God. So the natural man, the fleshly man, the, the unsaved individual, they find the word of God foolish. They can't understand it. They're not a saved individual. And we see that in verse 14. Then as you go a little bit further in verse 15, it says, but he that is spiritual judges all things. And the idea of judges here is the idea of he appraises. He discerns. It's the, you take an individual to, or an item to be appraised for value. And the, 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 the professional looks at it and he sees all the different problems with it or he sees all the nuances and he's able to identify and then give you an appraisal value. They're able to discern the, the good, the bad. And they're able to discern if it's a fake or if it's a genuine. That's what we're doing here. As saved individuals, we are able to judge, to discern, to appraise the word. We can look over it so we can scrutinize it. We can sift through it and thereby understand all these things. And we continue to grow in our understanding as we mature in our faith. But unbelievers and carnal Christians have a difficulty or are not able to do this. Because that's that third group. As you go into to verse or chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians, he talks about, and we've, we've looked at this, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. Not as individuals who are spiritually living and following the word of God and living by it, but I have to speak to you like saved individuals who are living according to your flesh, not according to the spirit. And so they, the fleshly believers, they hear the word of God, but they're not digesting it. They're not taking it in and really applying it, or they, they have to take these really, really simple, simple truths, and, and that's it. So uh, he talks about turning the light bulb on with illumination, because what does the, the picture of illumination, great picture, great word idea, because the light does not create the object. It simply sheds light on what is already there. So as the Holy Spirit illumines us, turning the light on, as we read, he's not recreating the scripture. He's not rewriting a new Bible. He's saying the word of God is already here. Let me shed some light upon it because you can understand the word of God. It doesn't reveal new information today. He simply understands, helps you understand what has already been said. So the illuminating spirit uh, the illumining of the Spirit may be experienced regularly by believers who seek to understand Scripture. That should be part of our daily routine. 
to help us understand. Why do we do that daily? Why do we pray daily? To, Lord, help me to understand your word and then get into his word because then it helps us to understand are we living according to God's word? And as we're living according to God's word, now we're starting to submit and allow ourselves to be controlled or to be filled by the spirit. And as we're filled by the spirit, what begins to happen? We begin to produce the works of the the, the fruit of the Spirit begins to be produced within us and not producing the works of the flesh. And it, it becomes this, yes, daily continual cycle. That's why it may seem completely redundant when you're like, I feel like every time I come to church, pastor tells me, read my Bible. There's a practical reason for that because that's what we need in order to understand the mind of God. And as we understand the mind of God, we can live like God desires us to live and we can be producing and be the light that God wants us to be. And so it's a, it's a really neat process, especially for a new believer, getting them into that habit early on so that they understand. Then they, they move after that illuminating to the gifting of the Spirit, another one of the ministries of the Spirit. And we are not going to take all the time that would be necessary because we'd be here for another three or four weeks to go through the gifting of the Spirit. Again, we're hitting some of the highlights because that's what the book is designed to do, to hit some of the highlights to help a new believer understand what's just happened in my life. What are all these new dynamics and, and how, is, how is the Spirit helping me? So at the moment of salvation, every Christian is giving a unique ability or a heightened ability for service in the local church. These special abilities, they're located as three main passages in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and then Ephesians chapter 4. Now what's interesting about it, as you read through, you're not going to find an exact duplicate list in every one of those passages. In fact, there's, there's various uh, gifts that are mentioned, some that are still practiced today, some that are still not. And so let's just work through a couple little thoughts on that as we go through. Many of the miraculous or what are called sign gifts sometimes uh, were used only uh, during the lifetime of the apostles and only in the absence of New Testament scriptures. So they were used to validate, and we'll talk about that in a second here. Every believer has at least one of the, re the remaining spiritual gifts. Some of, the, some of the gifts are gone. Prophecy, tongues, they're no more. But some of them that are still here, or maybe even something that's not listed, but God has heightened or uh, used an ability, maybe a natural ability that you have to heighten it and to strengthen it, to use it for the, the work of the ministry, the Holy Spirit has given you that ability to have that. Notice what he says in verse tw uh, chapter 12, verse 11. But all of these worketh that one of the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, Chapter 12 is all in the context of spiritual gifts. I didn't put all of chapter 12 up there. You can go back and read chapter 12, 13, and 14. Read it in a full context because all of it goes together. Even the love chapter in the middle is in the context of dealing with spiritual gifts in the church. But it's, it's interesting because you read the statement, and it's important to highlight this. At, at the top, every believer has at least one of the remaining spiritual gifts. But then you read the verse in verse 11, and it says that the Spirit divides to every man what? So what does the word severally mean? More than, typically, isn't that our English concept of, in the old, old English, it doesn't mean that. It means a, a unique, at least one, a minimal. It has the idea of an individual. So he's dividing individually. It's an old English word that has completely changed meaning from the, the 16, 1700s 
to now. It doesn't mean you're going to receive multiple gifts. It just means that you are individually, every man going to be apportioned from God as he sees fit. Some people may have more than one. Some may only have one. But he says that every single individual will be and will have this. And they, look, at, look what they're to be used for. They're used in humility, not with arrogance. Chapter or verse 3 talks about that. For I say to you, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to, as God hath dealt to every man, the measure of his faith. It's not, to, it's not to puff me up. It's not to say, hey, look, I have all these spiritual gifts and I'm so much better. No, we use our giftedness. We use what God has enabled us for the work of the ministry, for the body of believers as we, as we go through. Verse 12 says, for as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The context, the driving factor of all the dynamics with the spiritual gifts in this passage, it's the unity of the body and it's the work of, in using your giftedness for the body. It's to say God has enabled you to do something, to be something for the work of the ministry, for the body of Christ, for the building up of believers. And so for me to neglect my, my giftedness and to not use it for the body of Christ is to, to really thumb my nose at God and say, I don't, I don't want to use it. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. And so to what does this, the body in the passage, so some of the questions that are in there, again, they're keeping it very simple and tangible, un, or, uh, understandable. It's the local church is compared to a body. And we've talked about that. As a body, we all have individual abilities. Every, the, the, the finger does not do what the, the passage is really. It's a humorous passage. I mean, Paul just plays with body terms. I mean, like my finger, my, what if my you know, foot said to my ear, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to, I want to be an ear. And now I have a foot sticking off the side of my head. And we all have different unique abilities, talents, and this, the giftedness that God has given to us. And so because we have that, we are to use those different things in different ways. Body parts are different. They have different functions. They're important, but they are all necessary. Which parts of the body are important? It's all. Every single, every single part of your body is necessary. Okay, you might look and go, well, I don't really need my appendix. But, you know, you, you get the idea. You understand. I mean, as you go through, like, I, I broke my toe. I decided to, like, camp week. I played one game at camp, one time. And I just went out and played soccer. And within five minutes, I broke my toe, <laughs> my big toe. And you quickly learn how important your big toe is when you're trying to walk around and you're like trying to do this. And then all of a sudden I noticed like two days later, my calf is hurting on the right side because I'm, I'm like walking differently. So now there's pain because this side is in pain and it, caused, and it just keeps messing with the body. The same thing's true with our body of Christ. As we're working through, if one part of the body is not using their giftedness and their abilities that God has given them to minister to the church, other parts of the body can suffer. They got to pick up the slack or they got to change up their, it hurts. So we as a body, we come together, we use our giftedness, we use our talents, we use our abilities for the Lord in order to be able to minister one to another. So the gifting of the Spirit is experienced by every believer to some degree. It may be more for some, maybe less for others. 
at the moment of salvation for the benefit of the body of Christ. There's a lot more to be said about, about giftedness. In fact, they go on in the passage in the book and they talk about temporary and permanent gifts, which you have to sort of cover a little bit. Because as new believers, you're, you're going to come across some of these churches that say, well, in order to truly be filled with the Spirit and in order to truly know that you are a child of God, you have to speak in tongues. Or that you have to know that you, you know, some of us have the gift to be able to prophesy and to, to be able to, to lay out the, the new spiritual truths. And it's like, wait, how does that, how does that match, mesh with Scripture? In that same passage in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, for to one uh, is given by the spirit of the word of wisdom, to another knowledge by the same spirit. Notice again, who's always given these gifts? It's the spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another works of miracle, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And you start looking going, wait, I haven't seen all of these gifts being, you know, working out here. The, the tongues, the miracles, the prophesying, uh, the interpretation of tongues. Where are they all at? Are they still here? Several of these gifts are what, what are called, when we talk about the idea of sign gifts, or they're for a revelatory purpose. They were used in the New Testament to validate uh, the individual who was speaking or the individual who was bringing this new word. So they were meant as part of God's direct communication to men during the ministries of the apostles and prior to, this is important, prior to the completion of the New Testament. When we have the completed New Testament word, we no longer need an extra validation from God that what is being said is directly from God. We have that completed. Now, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and notice where it was confirmed. Confirmed to us, so it started with the Lord. It was confirmed or given to us by them that heard him. Talking about those who had heard Christ, the apostles, those who had heard the, heard the speakings, the truths of Christ. And then God also bearing witness of them. So God is saying these apostles, these individuals who were coming with this new, seemingly new revelation during the New Testament time, they were being born witness, God is identifying them as saying, yes, they are true, they are valid, they are people you need to listen to. How did God do that with them? Both in signs and wonders and different miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So when there was not a completed dynamic, the completed word of God, and as these individuals were bringing New Testament, new, new, new Testament truths to the, the churches, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden Paul stands up, and you're like, Paul's going to say, let me, let me explain to you the word of God, and let me tell you. And you're like, who's this new Paul guy? And then he speaks in tongues, and you're like, oh, okay, there's a valid, a valid aspect from, from the word of God. We don't need that anymore. And why don't we need that anymore? As the signs and wonders were used to authenticate the message of God's word that was being given through the apostles, the message is completed. We have a complete word of God. There is no more, there is no new revelation coming. It is complete, it is done, it is authenticated. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, highlight the fact that as, as everything was com being completed, he it says this, uh, charity never fails, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. 
So it's, it's Paul saying they're going to stop. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So that that which is in part is the, those sign gifts, the, the tongues, the prophecies. The perfect that it's speaking about is the completed revelation of the Word of God. So once the message of Scripture was completed, once John finished his revelation, there is no longer a need for these sign gifts, these temporary gifts. Now, there are, there are still some gifts today. In fact, there, he lists uh, in this book, uh, they list a number right in the middle there uh, on page 156. Again, I don't, I don't personally believe, and as Pastor and I were even talking this morning a little bit, that there's an exhaustive list in the Word of God because the different gifts, they don't all line up. They don't all match. match. And so you look and say, well, I have to have one of those. Could it be that God takes a natural ability or talent that you have and heightens that to use that for the, the body ministry? Absolutely, could. Could it be that God supernaturally gives you, enables you with something else to be able to use that? That, you know, you say, well, I was never good at administration, but once I got saved, man, God just really gave me this ability to be able to see these things and discern this and go through. It, it could. It could happen. We don't, we don't know exactly which one uh, to, to go through. And one of the questions that, that often comes up, some thoughts I had is, don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out your gift. If I don't know, use, use your abilities. Use your talents Remember what it's for, for body ministry. Use, start serving. Be active. And allow yourself, as you're working in the ministry of the body, working with one another, working for the cause of Christ, you start to see how God has maybe enabled you. Others begin to show that. Because you need to be careful. There's, there are a lot out there. A lot of the spiritual gifts tests. Figure out what your spiritual gift is so that you know how to better minister in, in the church. One of the, one of the cautions, I never thought about it until I come here and pastor had, had challenged us with it when, was, when I was a preacher boy. I remember, I mean, I remember way back then we were talking about it. He's like, who's the worst person to evaluate yourself? You are. And yet when you take these spiritual gifts tests, who evaluates it? It's me. I evaluate myself. Well, don't I always want to be hospitable? And don't I want to have be known, don't I want to know that I'm administrative? And don't I want to know, I mean, who doesn't want to have the gift of mercy? And yet, let's be honest, some of us are not real gifted at being very merciful all the time. So we, we are the worst persons to evaluate ourselves. So we can take all this time and try and really scrutinize and figure out, and you can look and say, well, Ephesians 4, I'm gifted to be a pastor. You know, I just, I took the spiritual gifts test that says I'm going to be a pastor. So I need to pursue all of that. And then you decide that you're going to start going down that path and everybody who's in ministry and everybody who's working with you and saying, you don't fit any of the qualifications of the list of, you know, the, the, the ministry, the office of a pastor. But no, my test said I need to. Okay, we have to be really careful on some of that and just take some caution. Use, just, just get involved. Start working. Use your natural abilities and see how God is equipped and use, use you to be involved in the church. Listen to others when they recognize your giftedness, which is really awkward at times because someone comes up to you and says, you know, I'm just so thankful. You have such a great gift of mercy. And you're like, 
You know, you feel, you feel weird getting those compliments. Or you, you just have such a great gift of evangelism. You just, that ability for you to go out and, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, thank you. It can feel weird, but you know what? When someone begins, one of the other spiritual believers of the church recognizes some of your uh, abilities, your giftedness, file that away and say, maybe I need to, you know, you're so hospitable. Use that. Use those abilities and use your giftedness for the church. That is, that is why the Spirit, the Spirit did not equip you, did not gift you to use your gifts to be used somewhere outside of the body of Christ in the church. That's, that's what he did, and that was the purpose for them because we're supposed to be building each other up and using our abilities here. And then he goes on to the empowering of the Spirit. As we talk about the empowering of the Spirit, it's the special blessing of the Spirit on a believer's particular ministry for the Lord. It also aided in the furthering of the Lord's work. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 gives us an example of divine enablement. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul's like, it's not my logic, it's not my abilities. Like, this is the, the Spirit of God working in His power that is, that is doing that. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah says, Not by my power or my might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. Remember, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, the base, the simple things of this world, the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring naught to the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul looks and says, hey, it's not by my great powers. It's not by your great might. It's by the power of God. And we should be giving him the glory and we should be seeking his power to do it. We need to be delighted when God uses us, but we need to return the credit to him. And God wants to use us and he desires to use us as believers. He's gifted us to be using our abilities and our talents in the, the, body, of the body of Christ. The empowering of the spirit may be experienced by every believer during times of ministry. And as we look to go to ministry, we want to be able to give him back the glory. I like the illustration they use. They use the illustration of a mouse is riding, going, going with an elephant across the bridge. And as they get across the bridge, the mouse looks at the elephant and goes, man, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? And it's, it's like, how many times have I ever, you know, something happens or involved in a ministry, and one of you comes up and says, man, Pastor, you did a great job with that. I know, I'm, you know, it's, it's how I am. I'm just that way. You know, I, I got those skills. What can I say? You would look at me and you probably should slug me in the face. Or just like, no, really? Okay, whatever. Because I can't, I need to be doing my ministry. You need to be doing your ministry through the power of the Spirit. Which means that when we go to do ministries, whether it's going up to sing, whether it's going to teach, in junior church, whether it's going to do neighborhood night. We can't just do it in our great administrative and logical abilities. We need to be in prayer. We need to be saying, God, help us to do this through your power, your strength. And when, when you know, glory comes, 
we give the glory back to God. It's not, it's not evil to have someone come and praise you. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong for someone to say, hey, pastor, I really appreciated your message. It was really good. The response is where it demonstrates heart attitude. You know, again, if I go, yeah, I know. That's, it's not. It's, that's by God's power. That's by God's grace that that occurred. And the same is true for us as we go to ministry. Even as we go, and we don't have time, I was hoping we would, but I should have known better. I never have extra time. Uh, but as we go into neighborhood night over this next week, sure, we can, we can logistically lay everything out and be everything organized and make, it, make this wonderful carnival. But if we're not doing it in the power of the Spirit, if we're not praying over over these, these pamphlets going out and longing for people to respond to the gospel. If we're doing it all in our own strength, in our own might, we're, we're backwards. We need to be going into our ministries begging for the empowerment of the Spirit in our ministries. We need to be individuals of prayer. And isn't it amazing, as, you look through, as we go through the ministries of the Spirit, some of those simple things, again, that we hear all the time. Be in your word, in the word of God. Be praying. Those simple truths of our Christian faith, they're so vital because they play into us being empowered and being used by the Spirit. They play into us uh, being filled and controlled by the Spirit. We can't take those simple Christian truths and, and nuggets and just pass them to the side and say, well, yeah, I know we're supposed to pray, and yeah, I know we're supposed to read our Bible. There's, there's theological depth to why we need to be doing that. Because we need God's power. We need God's direction. We need God's understanding so that as we walk through this world that is seemingly chaotic, I don't even think we have to say seemingly anymore. It is chaotic. It is It is different. We need the direction, the power, the enabling of the Spirit of God to be able to navigate godly in God's world. We need to know God's ways. And so then he talks about the sanctifying. He just touches on it because chapter 12 is going to be all about the sanctifying process and our sanctification, our growth through the Spirit of God. But we are all uh, we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. There is a growth process. It is a progress that is going to be taking place. The Spirit working within us to help us become more and more like Christ. That'll be in, in chapters to, to come. So as review, just there, there, he glorifies Christ. The Spirit glorifies Christ. The Spirit regenerates us. He baptizes us. He seals us. He indwells us. He does that all at the moment of salvation, and they're all permanent. At that moment of salvation, you are given a spiritual gift. What that is, you may know, you may not know, but what it means is we are supposed to be using our abilities, your giftedness, for the church's good, for the body of Christ. The filling of the Spirit takes place when we allow ourselves to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not permanent. But it is the result of confessing sin, submitting to the Lord, fellowshipping with him in, word, uh, in, in understanding the word and in prayer. We beg for the illuminating of the spirit, even as we come to the morning service here and pastor preaches. It's not just say, hey, all right, what's pastor gonna say? It's Lord, help me to understand 
the word of God as pastor preaches it this morning. Allow me to understand the deep truths of your word as we come here. And we beg for the empowering of the spirit for our ministries, for how you're serving. Lord, bless us, enable us, power, empower us to be able to live and to minister and to worship for you. And then the sanctifying process, that personal growth process that's going to take place and we'll cover more of that. So in finishing on page 159, the illuminating of the Spirit, if you want to fill in that question, the Spirit enables you to understand the Scriptures and which ministries are permanent and which ones are temporary or occasional. You can go back through and answer that because I've already covered that multiple times. But we want to ask the Lord now as we, as we wrap up here, let's beg the Lord for His power and His uh, strength as we go into worship and then even this week of Neighborhood Night. So Father... We long as a church right now to be used by you, to be controlled by you, to be empowered by you. Lord, help us to trust your word, to live according to your word. And God, even as we go into our worship service, open our eyes that we may understand your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us your power, your strength, your divine enablement as we go this week to prepare for a ministry, not just to do something neat for our neighborhood, but Lord, our neighborhood needs Jesus Christ. And Lord, we desperately want the opportunities to be able to share the truth of the gospel with them. And God, we pray that you would give us the, the courage and the boldness to, to take up the opportunities to do Bible studies with people, to stretch ourselves knowing that you are promising empowerment, you are enabling us, that you will give us the ability to do that, Lord, I pray that there would be many here who would say, I'll try, I'll step out by faith through the power of the Spirit to do these Bible studies. And God, we pray that there would be individuals in our community who would respond and say, I need to know more about Jesus Christ, about the love of God. And God, we ask, we long, we beg for you to work in our church and in our community for the gospel's sake. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You're dismissed.